0: stars live here Are you ready? on air, do you do? online on your smart speaker and wherever you stream broadcasting from Montreal and around the world
1: the Jeremy White Show available wherever you stream
0: catch up on past interviews and episodes on demand now
1: subscribe so you don't miss any of it. hello there you go Rick how's it going I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. Lovely to meet you today. Oh, nice to be with you. Uh, nice day. Where are you at uh, I'm in Canada, actually. I'm in, uh, in Montreal. Oh, you're in Canada? Okay, well, I'm down in Florida. Nice. <laughs> We're, well, well, let me just say, your weather's a lot better than ours. <laughs> well, I have a place in New Hampshire, so I kind of know what it's like up there. All right. We're, whereabouts in New Hampshire? I'm on the radio in New Hampshire.
2: Oh, uh, I'm in Amherst. Oh,
1: okay. So you're right near Manchester in Concord. I'm on the air on uh, 105.5 JYY over there, so.
2: Uh, I see. It makes me laugh because you guys say Concord. We say Concord. See, I, would, I used to say
1: Concord as well, and then management were like, no, 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 it, you can't say it. It's Concord. We, we call it Concord. Yeah, love it. It's just the accent up there, I guess. Because... Yeah. Okay, so live <laughs> free or die. It's Concord.
2: All right, I got it. Okay, man, I got it too. Yeah, <laughs> we, we spent six months of our year up there, six months down here. Oh, nice. So you know what? That's.
1: Listen that that's a good life right there. You you miss all the snow.
2: Well, you know, life has been pretty darn kind to me actually <laughs> over the years. I'm not complaining at all and I uh, just trying to enjoy it as best I can, you know. This this news we just got about the Hall of Fame, you know, and, uh it's just come as a complete surprise because you know for years we didn't think it was going to happen. Well, of course, yeah. And we're very we're very honored and very thrilled to be uh be put forward, shall we say, and hopefully inducted into the Hall of Fame. That's it. Well, It'd look, be very special. Let's
1: let's talk all about that. Um, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Foundation announced this week that Foreigner, among the nominees for 2024's induction. More than oh. ten, more than top. I mean, more top ten hits than Journey. As many as Fleetwood Mac, ten multi-platinum records, uh, nearly eighty million albums sold worldwide,
2: sold out tours. And uh, what took so long? i don't know <laughs> i wish i knew we we were all baffled to be honest i mean one of the things we didn't do we, or we never have done is really bitch about it you know right we could have because we used to feel very frustrated at times thinking why did we get left out you know yeah what else could we do you know we've proved that our songs have got the lasting power and it's still going on to this day which Forty years ago, someone had told me. That. I said, "Don't be silly. You know, it might be relevant in the 2000s, no way." Right, but it is, and the current band is still doing a great job. I mean, they really are. They're, they're, they were all put there. See, people say, "Oh, they're covers band." No, they're not. They were put there by us for the reason to keep going and to keep the music alive because we're getting on. You know, we're we're in our seventies now. Yeah, so we're not we're not kids anymore. And to be perfectly honest. Really, only Al Greenwood and myself are out there with the band when we can. I mean, we don't do a lot; we mm-hmm. do it as and when we feel like it, and when they invite us for it. Basically, I think there might be more of that going on this year because this is farewell tour year, right? And um, because of this uh, inclusion into the, uh, you know, Hall of Fame situation, obviously we're trying to cover as much ground as we can to encourage as many people. To hopefully vote for foreigner in the you know in, in the upcoming month in, in, I think it's April twenty fifth we'll find out right. if we've been inducted. I mean at the moment, Ozzy Osbourne's top, Peter Frampton foreigner neck and neck, and then the list goes down. Dave, Dave Matthews, uh, all these people. Yeah, but uh, obviously you know it really does count. If people will help hopefully vote. You know vote dot rockhall dot com. That's it yeah
1: and it's funny you know a lot of the guys we talked to it's like you know before Def Leppard was inducted you know uh, it's funny Joe Elliott was like yeah of course I want to be in it but then last I I forget who it was uh, I was like oh do you want to be in Rock and Roll Hall of Fame why haven't you been nominated and they're like oh who gives it you know you know whatever it's just you know a bunch of top, it's a some wank award or something like that and I was like yeah, okay. well, I was like but as soon as you get nominated I bet you you're gonna go and they were like oh I damn know, right damn mean, right I'll be finish. there
2: We've all done it. We've all gone. Oh yes, no, that no, that's not that big a deal. Well, it is a big deal actually. Yeah. Because obviously we want to be there, recognised for the body of work that we've accomplished and you know, what we've done. Yeah. And it's been a real, well, it's been a real pleasure to be part of Foreigner anyway for me, since I joined the band. And uh, I mean, we just didn't, we couldn't have thought in a million years it would be this successful. Right. But yes, it is, and it is wonderful to think that people still want to come out. And a lot of the shows the guys are doing these days are sold out yeah. already, which, you know, again, still, it's just amazing. Because whenever I do a show, I usually I do I like want to know what love is and I'll probably do hot-blooded. And in between, I'll, I'll talk to the audience. right? And all, I always just say, look, we just, thank you so much for staying with us and enjoying what we did because it means so much to us. It so, really does. So is so the current lineup, I mean, obviously, you, the band's
1: gone through many, many lineup changes over the years. I mean, in a way, I mean, I guess, like, you know, when you think of Foreigner, like, you think of the logo, you think of the songs. When you think of Kiss, yeah. you picture Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons with the makeup and everything. I mean, essentially, yeah. aside from Mick, I mean, like, the band's been sort of, like, nameless guys a little bit. I mean, like, do you think you guys could have done more to try and be a little
2: bit more known? I don't know. I mean, we, we, we just worked that type of band. I mean, when the video era hit, you know, so so, so eight, early eighties mm-hmm. when the video thing became big with MTV, we really weren't that keen on doing all that stuff because we were just concentrating on the music, what we were making in the studio. Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly honest, you know, video making is a bit of a pain in the butt because you know you've got to be up at six in the morning, get go to a place, get made up, do all this, and hang around all day just to get a, a three minute video shot. You mm-hmm. know. We weren't exactly too enamored by that idea, to be right. perfectly honest. So we have always been a little bit faceless as people. I mean, I, to be honest, I've never had a problem walking out of the street in New York or anywhere. And, I mean, very few people will say, oh, that's, that's Rick Wills, for it. You know, whereas well, mm-hmm. the well, day one day I was walking down Broadway with David Gilmore, who would be friends for all our lives. Mm-hmm. And a guy went past him and, I don't believe it. Pink Floyd, Fork, on one street? I can't believe it. He was over the moon. And We both looked at each other, David. And I went, there you go, man. You know, some people know who we are, at least. Yeah, we call those the diehards. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You well, know, thank God for them. But you know, at the same time, what we cared about more than anything was the music. And right. Mick and Lou certainly came up with some great songs, which Dennis and I and Al and Ian contributed to. Mm-hmm. Over, you know, that was how, we, how it was worked well, But the initial ideas Usually came from Mick Jones and Lou Grant
1: Well, I was going to ask uh, you about that I mean, you know, I spoke to Luke not, uh, Lou not too long ago And, you know, we were talking a little bit about How Mick Jones sort of took all the songwriting credits And it, it really upset him I mean, uh, we specifically talked, about, you know, like I want to know what love is And, you know, he talked about his contributions to many of the songs I mean, like, was that your experience? I mean, like, is that true? Like, was Mick sort of like, you know, hoarded the songwriting credits?
2: Well, I mean In the case of Want to Know What Love Is, that was Mick's song anyway. I mean, it really is. Mm -hmm. And to be perfectly honest, at the time, Lou was getting a little bit... He was sort of saying, it's too many ballads, Mick. It's too soft. It's all keyboard-orientated. I want more guitar stuff. I want it to be guitar-based and more rocky. Mm -hmm. You know? And Mick was just going down that road at the time. I mean, he, he wrote so many stuff, so much stuff on guitar... But once he discovered what he could do on a keyboard, and you'll notice if you if you know the music, I mean, it's mostly in sharps and flats because he writes everything on the black notes on a keyboard. Mm. So everything like you know, like wait for a girl using E flat, same same with "Want to Know What Love Is," it's right. the same. Uh, which you know, it's it's okay, but it's, it's it, 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 for me. I like playing in in the you know the actual real note, the E, where it's, it's, it's yeah, and it just standard tuning, yes but that's just the way he writes and that's the way he does it. I mean, you know, they've worked together in a very good way. Mick usually had the musical idea for the for the song, mm-hmm. whereas Lou often had the, the lyric idea, okay. more so than Mick. And as far as I remember, and I think I'm right in saying, Mick had that whole thing in his head, I want to know what love is. You know, it's something he came up with. Mm-hmm. He He knew what he had and he just wanted us to get It across the way it came across was right. I mean, it wasn't just done in a, a heartbeat, it was, it took so time to get it right. Right, it's very particular about how things are layered, how things are done. And
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, sometimes that could be, you know, seem a bit laborious, but nevertheless, it's worked.
1: Well, I mean, look, let's talk a little bit about that in the studio process. I mean, I want to jump right over to talking about Foreigner 4 specifically because I'm the biggest Mutt Lang fan around, and of course, you, worked oh, me with- too. The, with the man on the record uh, talk a little bit about the experience of being like how what was the con do you remember the conversation about getting Mutt involved in
2: the project in the first place well it was something Mick had been trying to get for some time but I mean Mutt was a busy guy when he'd been doing death and he'd been doing so many other th- projects yeah and Mutt wanted he, you know when, when the time was right when he had the, the actual time to actually take the job on because he knew it wasn't going to be a two-week job and he knew it was going to be lots pretty long-winded, you know. And especially if it's Montlake, Lang, it you know
1: it's not going to be an overnight thing.
2: Oh, he's a perfectionist. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> I mean, I love him to death because he's such a workaholic. But we went into the studio. The first track we cut was waiting for a girl like you. Two takes, it took in an hour. I thought, well, we're off to a great start here when we'll I've just done in no time. <laughs> I was so wrong. <laughs> a year later, we're still there working on the ideas Oh, no. But Matt, Matt had in his head, he wanted to have you know, an anthem, you know, a real a real song that the audience could take get hold of. And that was jukebox Hero. Right. I mean, it's become a, a big song, the biggest song probably in the, in the whole set. Mm-hmm. And Urgent was something that came up that was different. We didn't have that to start with, but it became something that Mutt wanted. He wanted something different. And of course we <coughs> bought Junior War sorry, it's my dog. Brother. That's okay. Um, <coughs> please, please. Please. <laughs> Hold on. Um, sorry. Um, yeah, he, he, we brought Mick and Godnessy Junior Walker at a club in New York City and invited him down to the studio with his bath. And they came in. Of course, we used to have good food in the studio and yeah. I nice, got nice drinks. And uh, they, they just gorged themselves on it. And we convinced Junior that we wanted him to play the sax solo on this Mm -hmm. record. I'm very sorry. My dog's being fed. Yeah, go go check him out. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so that's what happened. and It took a while to get him to play the way he did Mm -hmm. because he changed his style over the years. But we eventually got it with some editing and some fiddling around with a few takes, you know. And I was a little concerned that it was the first single that came off the album. And I thought, well, I'm not sure people are going to get this because it's different. It was a different approach for us, mm. and yet it did. People liked it. Suddenly, urgent was on the radio, all over the radio. And with Waiting for a girl like you, I think that's a no-brainer, really. I mean, I, I said to Mick and Lou at the time, I said, "That's number one." Well, I was out by one spot. You know, yeah. I was out. I got to number two. Yeah, but it's a, It sounds but, like uh, a hit. yeah. I mean, it was just the way we were working was really positive, and it was hard work at times. It really was long, long hours. Mm. Because Mutt was absolutely determined to get his way on certain things. And Mick is the same. He's determined also. So they used to clash a bit, you know. Yeah. They they would have their moments where they wouldn't agree and then they would find a way around it and get to the right place. Right. So yeah, it was it was an interesting but I never thought it would take that long. A two million dollar album. Was there a lot of experimentation
1: going on in the studio at the time? Because I know Mutt was a big fan of the technology, you know, drum samples and,
2: you know, in yeah, the mix. Yeah, there was. But more so on that album than anything we'd done before. I mean, Head Games was a straightforward rock band approach, really. Mm-hmm. You know, the four of us go in, guitar, bass, drums, vocal, cut the track, and then we would add the keyboards and stuff later. You know, but with with four, we, we watched one bit... With, and Lou really de- decided to pare it down from six members to four so that we could bring in people from outside of what we do for the experimentation point of view, right. like, you know, Tom Dolby, people like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And it worked. It worked very, very well because they brought a different approach to it because they didn't they didn't play in a rock band like we were. Mm-hmm. They'd had, they had a different idea of how they recorded and did things. But we liked it. We thought it was very interesting. And it Made a different sound for us, a different approach. Some of those intros, you know, like and, and waiting for a girl at like you and stuff, you know, that's Tom Dolby, you
0: know, yeah, that's, that's,
2: that was his ideas, even
1: like the bass intro on, like, you know, Jukebox Hero, that cool kind of keyboard sounding thing, like. yeah.
0: Doom, doom, doom. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I mean, that was really dad. That was Matt and I working together very closely on that, and same with Urgent because I'm not a slap bass player type. You know, that, that, that. Yeah. So we did it together. Mutt played the high part. I played the low part. Wow, so, so Mutt worked. Lang is playing bass on that. Oh, yeah, he, he plays He plays his part. I play mine. Wow. And that's, we, we worked it that way, because it just, it was, I can't do the, the slap thing that, that some bass players can. Mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a straight fingers guy that, you know, plays it as as I feel it. Right. But that's how we work. We, we're very, very, work, very closely knitting together, and Mark, and Mark was involved in everything, everything, vocally, backing vocals, everything. He just joined in with us completely. He was essentially, you know, like another member of the band. Oh, he was without a doubt. I mean, after a year, we we got to know each other very, very well. <laughs> you mm-hmm. do. We spent a lot of time.
1: You're working that intimately. It's almost like being in a relationship. I guess.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it really was. But Dude. it was a good relationship because. You know, we were so pleased that the album really got us back on top again after Head Gaze, which was somewhat disappointing in sales. Mm. Uh, I think it had something to do with the album cover with the girl and the arrival and all that stuff that people didn't like. Mm. But I thought it was a good album. I like the songs on there. I really
1: do. Do you remember uh, your bass rig when you were recording that record? Was it like a straight yeah. DI or was it was it an amp mic? No, up? no. I
2: always use Ampeg. Ampeg, mm. Ampeg amps, the old SVTs. Right. And I, I always use DI as well. I don't do much in the control room that much. I like to be out in the studio with the drummer, with Dennis, Right. playing you know live together. I like the feel of the drums and hear the drums mm-hmm. as they are. But um, yeah, I mean I did a certain amount of drop-ins. You know, when you go in, if you make a little oh, yeah. mistake somewhere, you just go in and just sit down and get the sound right and, and drop in. Right. But um, that's just the way. That's the nature of recording, anyway.
1: I remember I was talking to Mick and uh, he told me that he and Mutt did, in fact, you know, have a couple of arguments here and there and it always came down to, it always came down to more of like, you know, he said, ultimately he's like the
2: best idea won in the end. Yeah. Well, that's, that's exactly what happened. That's why I'm telling you exactly how I saw it. There were times where I thought, Oh, this isn't going to work. Too well. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, you know, that's just life. It's different opinions and different ways of seeing things. Yeah. And, Mick was as determined as Mutt was to get their way. <laughs> and that's the nature of their characters, you know. Yeah. Uh, it was never a dull moment, put it that way.
1: And, I mean, look, you know, the first five albums were top five on Billboard. And that's, you know, a lot of those were pre-MTV. I mean, that's an incredible run. I don't think any yeah.
2: other band has really done that. I'm not sure if, if anybody else has done it, but we did. Yeah. And we were very proud of that fact. You know, we got there on I think basically, good songs. That's what's lasted. I mean, you know, people say to me, what do you think it is about foreigners that's made it last? It's the songs. You can't really argue with that fact. But the band also were very good live. As a as a you know, when we were in our prime in the eighties into nineties, we were really good as a live band. Right. Because we knew damn well we had to be to compete with the other guys who so, I mean they were all on it. Yeah, you know, you can't you can't say Journey, Fleetwood Mac, Def Leppard a bit. I mean, they were really good also. So we knew we had to compete with the best. Did you feel competitive with those bands? Oh yeah, Mm. of course. We 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 wanted to be known for what we were. Mm -hmm. We were a good rock band.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and the music did speak for itself. I mean, like that's I think so. The, and it's funny, you, you know, you talk about some of the contemporaries, mainly, you know, like Journey and Boston, and Def Leppard, you know, those those yeah. types of bands. It's like, you know, they're known for their balls, but they're equally known for their rockers. But amazing musicians.
2: Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole name of the game. I mean, looking back when the Beatles came along in early 60s, I would love me do as a, they changed the whole way the whole way it was done. Mm-hmm. There was a group suddenly, not just one guy singing out front with a bagging man. There was a group and they all had their strengths. John, Paul, George, Ringo all had their own strengths. And they did something that no one else had done up to that point. They made it fun. They made it really interesting because they were very, very prepared to, really experiment in every way for each album they did and expand yeah. and learn different ways of doing things and try all the different ideas out with whatever instruments they could get their hands on, basically. in orchestras and different effects. Yeah, they weren't afraid I, of and trying things it really out. made a big effect on us. Yeah. We yeah, were they... all wanted to be as good as the Beatles, but I mean, not many people can be, <laughs> let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, they're in a class of their own, I think. They sure
0: are,
1: rightly so. Talk a little bit about your friendship with David Gilmore. I mean, one of the greatest guitar players of all time, and I find underrated. You never see him in, like, the top 10 lists of greatest guitarists. Uh, You've you kind of surrounded oh, yourself he, with Yeah, he, he, he has.
2: He, he was voted, actually, the best guitarist recently uh, in a poll of solos. Oh, solos, oh, yeah. Numb, comfortably Nub, which is a great guitarist. Oh, my goodness. David and I grew up together in Cambridge. Lived in the same area of Cambridge. Oh, he wow. was in a local band. I was in a local band. We were very competitive. We watched each other closely. What was going on?
0: Mm.
2: And then it was obvious to pretty much all, all us guys who were players that David was going somewhere, mm. and because he was so good at what he was doing then, when he was just a teenager. And then this guy called Jonathan King came along. He was at college there. who had a big hit with a song called "Everyone's Gone to the Moon." He decided that it was time for David to move on to get something going. So we took him to London to meet Brian Epstein and Andrew Oldham Stones, the Beatles manager, respectively. And they like Dave, too. But how could you not? He's a very nice man. Mm. He came back from London, and he asked me if I would join him. And I was thrilled, because that was an opportunity I was not going to turn down. I mean, I was doing very nicely in Cambridge for what I was doing. Right. But I wanted to move on to London and the rest of the world, for that matter. I mean, that's just my nature, is to look forward. And mm. uh, we did. We got sent off to Spain, and we... To get it together, as they call it in those days. And I mean, it was tough going. It really was. I mean, no one knew who we were, but we were English guys with long hair, which was unusual in those days, believe you me. Mm. Because the Spanish guys used to really, you know, make fun of us and pull our hair and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, what are you going to do? Really? (laughs) So we spent three months or more in Spain. Then we moved to France and lived in Paris for a year. That's how I got to know Mick Jones in 67. Mm. He was there with Johnny Halliday doing just. Wonderful business, because Johnny's the biggest... Well, he is the French Elvis presence, no doubt about it.
0: Mm.
2: So, you know, and then when I had this thing with... When Peter Frampton's live album went ballistically big, because i, was, I cause co-written, do you feel like doing, do we do, in what I called up his manager, Anthony in New York, and I said, D, I think I'm owed some money. He said, oh, Rick, you're owed a lot of money, babe, said, but we're still working on it, and so the accounting is crazy because he's selling so many records so fast. It's millions upon millions of records being sold.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: I said, I think I'm going to come to New York. He said, that's a good idea. So I went, I was in New York, stayed with my friend Jerry Shirley, who was a drummer in Hubble Pie, and yeah. I played with Jerry previously in a group in Cambridge. I stayed with him for a couple of days, and I went to see D. and uh, he said, uh, well, what, how can I help you out, Rick? I said, well, I'm pretty low on money right now, so to be honest, I'm pretty broke. He mm-hmm. said, so I'm going to give you a check today made out to cash. You can take it down to the bank. He said, this should help you get through for a little while. I said, okay. Wow. He wrote me a check for $35,000. I'd never had that much money in my life. Did you Really, like... seriously, I hadn't. <laughs> I just didn't know what to do. I went down to the cashier in the bank. I said, I'd like cash this." She said, Rick, do you realize you're in New York, don't you? I said, yeah. He said, You can't walk out of here with $35,000. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Well, what should I do? He said, Put it in a safety deposit box and then come back in here. I'll give you the key. You help yourself when you need some money. You got it. It's there. Right. He said, but don't carry it on you. So you'll get robbed, mugged, whatever. Just instantly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But the next two or three days, Jerry and I partied our ass off. I mean, we had set a ball. We really did. I could only imagine. Why not?
1: And that money would have got you a long way. That, that, you could have party yeah, for days that, straight in, at that in point. That
2: few, in that few days, we heard that the foreigner were changing their base player. Oh. So I said, Jerry, you, I said, you've got to find out Mick's number for me because he had an apartment in New York, which he did. I called Mick up. I said, Mick, I'm, I'm here in New York. You know, he said, I didn't know you were here, I said, yeah, I'm here staying with Jerry. I said, I'd love to audition for your band. He said, we've got rather a lot of people to audition for. So he said, you're more than welcome. We'd love to have you come over. I said, we're SIR Studios. He said, have you got a bass? I said, no, you can lend me one, can't you? I, I know you must have quite plenty of basses. Yeah. Which he did. I knew their music because I had the eight tracks in my car of the first two albums. So I listened to it constantly, my wife, and I loved it. Mm. So I walked in and they said, you know, I met all the guys in the band, Lou, Dennis, Mick, Ian, Al, and they said, what songs do you know? I said, well, you name one, I'll probably, I'll probably play it. They said, A Double Vision? I said, done. We started with Double Vision, we did Hot Blooded. we cold as ice, feels like the first time. And Dennis just got off his drum kit and walked forward and said, I want him in the band pointing at me. Wow. And Mick said, Dennis, Dennis, said, we've got 70 bass players to audition. You do realise 70. I thought, what chance have I got? These are the best guys in the States, you know. Anyway, he said, Come back in two weeks, and we'll run over vocals and go over it more sort of in a more intense way. I did that, and that went really well as well. And then I, you know, I called my wife in London. She we had two young children at the time, five and 18 months, or something like that. Oh, wow! And they both got chickenpox. She, oh. my wife, was going crazy. She said, oh, Rick, please come home. I said, how can I leave New York when this is going on? I'm almost there. I nearly think I've got the job before, but I don't know. She said, please come home. And I did. I flew back to London. I was home one night, literally in my own bed. (laughs) The next morning, at 8 o'clock, the phone rang, and it was Bud Prager, manager of Foreigner, and Mick Jones, ringing me up to say, how are you feeling? I said, well, I'm jet-lagged like hell. I said, I'm real terrible. Actually. I'm really, really groggy. <laughs> I said, well, you're going to feel pretty good, you know. I said, why? He said, you've just got the job with Foreigner. I was, oh, my God. There <laughs> oh. so my children and my wife on the bed with me. We were all so happy. You know, it was a big moment in my life to, to realize suddenly I'd entered into the big time with Foreigner. I mean, it was just life-changing, actually, to yeah. be perfectly honest. It really was. And that's what I did. So I said, what do I want me to do? He said, I want you to go to the airport, the Heathrow Airport in London, and there's the ticket of the British Airways Canada to come back to New York today. I said, today? Oh, man. I said, jeez. He said, you've got to do it, because we, we've got to go into rehearsals for the new album right away. It's important. So I went there, and this lady behind the British Airways desk said, Mr. Wills, we're terribly sorry, but the Concorde is sold out. So it- Concorde? I don't do Concorde. I sit in the back of the plane. You know, I'm always in the economy. That's what I do. Right. She said, not today. You don't. She said, we have a first class seat on a seven four seven. If you wouldn't mind doing that. I said, Oh, I would really mind doing it. That wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah." You <know? laughs> You're like, Oh really? Oh, you know what? I'll wait for the economy seat tomorrow. Yes. Put me on. <laughs> so I got on the plane, right. I'm sitting in my seat and upstairs there's a lounge, which is a bar area where you can go and hang out. and Just be comfortable. You know, so I thought, well, I think it's time for a drink and a celebration here, you know. Oh yeah. I've got seven, eight hours off the plane to New York. I was enjoying myself. I told all the crew why I was going, where I was going and why I was doing it. Are you walking know. around saying like, "Hi, I'm the bass player for Foreigner"? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, it wasn't so much that. I said, I think I'm gonna be the bass player for Foreigner. You know? Yeah. Well, anyway, I had a good few drinks. Don't you worry. And I got to New York. One of the road crew, a guy called Tro- Troby Laidlaw, picked me up. Took me to rehearsal. I said, Where are we going? He said, We're going to rehearse for it. We were rehearsing today. I said, Oh, man. I said, I've had lost a drink. I said, Go to a coffee shop straight away and get some black coffee, please. And I said, I've got to straighten up, man. I really got to. So I don't want to mess this up at all. And that's what we did. And I got there, I just walked in the room and I said, There's your bass. There's your rig. Let's go. I said, Well, what we do is a dirty white First song we played. Wow. Right into you it, know, huh? I know. It was incredible. You know, about two days later, we were in the studio, in Atlantic Studios on Broadway, recording the Head Games up. With, wow. Uh, yeah, it was just, I don't know. It was such a change in life for me. Um, you know, my wife, of course, had to stay back in London. Well, I, I had to work every day. I had one weekend off, and Dennis Elliott and his wife, Iona, they said, we'll show you around Westchester where we live, See if you can get a place to live for the family, you know. Yeah. So I literally took him up on it. We went up there. I looked at various places, and I eventually chose this one house that was owned by an Italian guy. It had the most ridiculous decor you've ever seen. <laughs> really strange. And then he told me his name. His name was Joe Banana. I said. That, that that sounds like Mafia to me he said oh he's the head of the Mafia don't worry oh yeah yeah he was like the oh, Don shit. wasn't he <laughs> just one thing I've got to tell you said, do not be late with your rent <laughs> you're going to have the car waiting outside for you
1: if you're late yeah <laughs> I was never late with my rent believe you me yeah you're a bass player I, you're going to be playing with a yeah. pick from now on
2: <laughs> yeah I mean when my wife eventually came over and I went to pick her up I said darling I, I just got to tell you I said this you're not really going to like the interior of this house very much. So it's just a nice place, but it's just really crazy the way it's, you know, decorated. It's got silver wallpaper with orange dots all over it. Oh, jeez! Weird curtains, fluff, you know, fluffy curtains. And but I first saw it, she said, "What have you done? What did you do this for?" <laughs> it sounds like it looked like a swingers club in there or something. <laughs> yeah, she said, "This is just awful." <laughs> table in the basement yeah but we had a pool table at the basement we oh. By- oh that was very cool okay come on that's pretty cool oh yeah we, we enjoyed that yeah. so we lived there for a year before we you know we'd done the whole year touring with foreign they were very generous with me gave me a bunch of money so we bought our own house in the same area but a, a much nicer down-to-earth type home you know? right but a little bit more our taste shall we say you know mm-hmm. And we, we lived in Mount Kisco all those years. Of just used to drive into New York for rehearsals and everything. We had a happy life, man. We really did. The kids grew up there; they loved it. We yeah. were there for but twelve years, I guess, something like that, ten years. And they, we had a such a nice life because Farley was so busy all the time. You know, we really didn't have time to even really collect our thoughts about how what was going on. It was just unbelievable. It yeah. really was. Everything we did seemed to work. It just was great.
1: And it sounds like it was just like a real surreal experience. I mean, like, here you are, you're in New York, and you just, you know, say, you know what, let me let me call up Mick and see, you know, maybe I'll get a chance to audition or, you know, he should have just hired you right there and then. Let's be honest here. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, it's, 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 oh, uh, people have asked me many times, well, how do you think, you know, your success has come about? I said, I was in the right place at the right time. But that That's always how happens. How it worked out. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's just every time it's just like, oh, how did that happen? I don't know. If I hadn't have gone to New York to get the money from Peter Frampton, I wouldn't have heard about the foreigner job. Yeah. I wouldn't have auditioned with them. You know, all those things. You put them all together and it's like, geez, how did that happen? You know? Yeah. But there you go. That, that's life.
1: <laughs> it's been great. And look, of course, Peter Frampton nominated this year as well. Finally.
2: I know. We're in competition. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Are you going to be
1: upset if he gets in before you guys? (laughs) No, not at all. I
2: wish him all the best. I I emailed him the other day. I said, right, we're in it now. We're in competition. At the moment, Ozzy Osborne is top. Peter's next, and we're we're third. And I'm really competitive. I said, we've got to get more votes than Peter Frampton, right? So I'm going to tell you, if you tell your fans and people who listen to your radio show, vote.rockhall.com we would appreciate every vote we could get. We really would.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's about damn okay. time that a foreigner gets in there and get you all guys. So it's Thank the original you. lineup of you know that's been nominated. Uh, do you guys let you know uh, Jeff Pilson get up on stage and play with you guys if you guys get in, or is, it, or is it just the original boys that are going to get up there?
2: No, no, no. When when we do shows now and then, we have their band and our band together because you know Lou and Nick they need a bit of help be mm-hmm. honest. You know, yeah. They're getting older. They've had some health issues. There's been some things, but they, I mean, Mick, Mick has a bit of a memory problem these days because of his age. And, you know, you can't help that as you get older. I mean, right. we all forget things, but of course. But, uh, Bruce Watson, who's the guitar player in the band. He's so good. I mean, he's the closest thing I've ever heard. Yeah. He's amazing. And now the new guy, Louis Carlos, who's on my side, of the where I play bass. He's incredible too. The drummer's great. Chris Fraser, Kelly Hansen. Well, you can't beat him as a frontman. His voice is as close to Lou Gramm as you're going to get. Well, that's it. It's I mean, it's a beautiful lineup. They're lovely people. Love playing with them.
0: Yeah,
2: it'll be will be fine. We're working out. we will work out what we're going to do. We know. We I don't know yet. We haven't whilst, until we've been inducted, or if we get inducted, shall I say? Mm-hmm. We won't up until that point. We won't do anything more than what we're doing now. I'm doing as many interviews as I can to try and get as many people to understand where we are, yeah. what we're doing, and get as many votes as we can so that we do get it to the Hall of Fame, because we really want it. Yeah. We're very proud of being you know, put forward to be in that situation because I honestly feel that we deserved it. I really do. Yeah. So I hope that happens.
1: And I think next time we speak, I'm going to be introducing you as Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. Well, I hope Rick so Wilson.
0: too. You know,
1: <laughs> you have any idea? So, if you guys do end up getting the nomination, you get in, you get inducted. You, do you know who you'd want to do the induction speech?
2: I have no idea at the moment, but uh, I don't know really. That's a good thought. I haven't thought about that actually. Who's actually going to make the speech? But between us, we're pretty good at talking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You need somebody to do the induction, though, man. You, you know, I mean, that Bon Jovi had Howard Stern. You, you know, you yeah, got to get somebody I don't cool. Know. I mean, Mick, Mick knows everybody anyway, yeah. you know. I'm sure if we ask any one of the friends we have in this business, they would do it for us. Oh, yeah. You know, even, I don't know. I don't, I don't know who I would say. I mean, personally, I'd love someone like Keith Richard to do it, you know. Yeah. Be, we're an honor to have Keith up to do it. But, uh, well, Mick Jagger even, you know, because we know all these guys, and they've been so kind to us over the years. And so, uh, same with Led Zeppelin, Jimmy Page and Robert Plant. They came to one of our shows in Munich, in Germany, and we didn't know they were coming. Phil Carson, our manager, brought him over, brought them over, and they said we come to see you guys. We said, well, oh, it's so nice of you to do that. Wow. And we did our show. We came off before we did the encore, and they were there. They said, can we play with you? I said, of course you can play with us. What do you want to do? <laughs> So we went up on stage, and we were all looking at each other. I said, let's do Lucille by Little Richard. I said, everybody knows that song, don't they? And we all said, yeah, yeah, we know that. So I went to the Lucille. So he starts playing, right? And he's doing Pretty Woman, not Lucille, by <laughs> Roy Orbison. <laughs> so we're all standing on stage killing ourselves with laughter thinking, what the hell are we
1: doing? Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, I wish there was footage of that somewhere. That's amazing. I know,
2: man. And the audience didn't know why we were all laughing because they were just over the moon that Robert Plant and Jimmy Page were up there with us, you know. Right. It was such a night. It really was. We had, a, we had a, one of the best nights ever with them. After we had a great dinner, Jimmy and I went clubbing together. It was a ball. You know, we had a, it was so nice. That's how, yeah. it, how it is. So, yeah, Robert Plant and Jimmy Page would be great as well. It's nice you know, to hear that it was so, like,
1: you know, very community-oriented. Everybody was kind of friendly with each other. It wasn't, you know, pricks and being,
2: you know, competitive. No, and, you that's know, how it is, man. You know, we're, yeah. we're, all on the same, we're all on the same page, you know. We all look at each other and say, well, we did good. You know, we did well. We, we got there. I mean, you couldn't have been bigger than Led Zeppelin in that time, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, the first time I saw them live, they just blew me away. I was mean, wow, what a bat, you know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's very it's a nice feeling that we have that community thing. Mm-hmm. That one, we all respect one another. That's yeah. really what it's about.
1: You're all, you know, you're all peers. It's almost like you're like a uh, you know coworkers in a way.
2: Uh huh. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. I hope you've got something you can use there.
1: Absolutely, this was fantastic. Uh, everybody, go to vote. Com. You got until uh, mid-April to get the votes yeah. in there, and the fan vote is incredibly important. And going to be honest with you, the you know, it's kind of stacked this year with some incredible nominees. I mean, uh, I'm I'd be really shocked if Foreigner doesn't get in, and it'll be a real damn shame if you don't. But at least you're finally in the conversation because it's been ta- it's taken way too long for Foreigner well, to be included. The moment, it's
2: looking pretty good, as to say, you know, yeah, top three is Aussie Peter and Forrest. Yeah, and foreign and Peter are very, very close in both. And then I think it's Mariah Ozzie's, Carey. <laughs> Ozzy's a bit further out there than us, you know. Yeah, he's, he's just got a following that's just incredible.
1: Did you see um, what uh, Liam Gallagher said the other day from Oasis? No. So Liam Gallagher, of course, Oasis got nominated for the Rock Hall as well, and so yeah. um, he tweeted out the news, and it, it was it was kind of news all over the place because I replied to him as a, as a goof. And uh, I'll read you his tweet because it was pretty funny. He said, uh, he said, fuck the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It's full of bumble carts. <laughs> what the
2: hell was that?
1: And I, I guess it, it's it, it's apparently the Jamaican slang for ass wipes. Kind of like. Uh, oh, OK.
2: <laughs> <laughs> That's Liam Boyer. He yeah. Good. Yeah. And I I thought it was funny. He puts his foot in his mouth a lot. He really does. Yeah. But so then my buddy Mitch Lafon Mitch Lafon wrote back to him. He
1: said, Yeah, but if you get the nomination, I guarantee you go. And he's like, You reckon? (laughs) (laughs) And then I wrote back to him. I said, Listen, I'm sorry, mate, but Shania Twain needs to be in way before Oasis. And he wrote back to me. He's like, Yeah, I agree. And then Shania Twain got in and she replied
2: as well. Yeah, I saw what the Sure wrote the other day. She said, Even if they, I get nominated, I'm not doing it. I'm not going to take it. Oh yeah, she's you know pissed doing? about the Rock Hall. Yeah, she said they waited way wait, wait too long to honor me. You know, so I mean, yeah, that's how some people see it. Yeah, we could say the same, but we didn't. I mean, look at look at Dolly Parton. I mean, she was in the news, yeah. looking, you know. I mean, I mean, if all the people asked you, know, I went, Dolly Parton, what the hell is she doing in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Well, she kind of had the, the same the reaction. <laughs> Yeah, and then she made a rock album. <laughs> yeah, and she literally had like you know a
1: like a half Beatles reunion on one of the songs, and like she, yeah, she yeah, did yeah, it yeah. proper.
2: Yeah. yeah, Peter played on it too. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it's the way it is. But so, good luck to her You know, we we just have to see what happens, and I just hope that the people will vote for us, and we'll get it.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm I'm pulling for you guys. I'm. Uh, Thank uh, you. You know that that's my thing. I'm I'm on the foreigner train at this point.
2: Oh, good. I mean, I can tell you one person who's really, really root for us, is Mark Ronson. Oh, yes, Mick's stepson. Mm-hmm. You know, he uh, his wife Anne is her son, and he's done so very well in it with his world of music that he's done. Oh, he's one the of the greatest, greatest producers
1: and songwriters right now. I mean, like, his he's work with incredible du- guy. His work with Dua Lipa is just phenomenal. Like,
2: I know. I mean, I've known Mark since he was a little kid. I mean, when you, I mean when, when Anne and Mick first got together, yeah, and he's grown into this. Huge artist he has been nominated for an Oscar this year and stuff yeah, like that. The I mean, stuff on Barbie, right. phew, amazing. Oh, that's massive. He's, I mean, he's earned a fortune. Oh, he yeah. He wrote all the songs.
1: Yeah. And he's worked with some amazing people. I mean, like, if four of us to get together and, like, you know, do, an, do another record just for old time's sake, I would see you guys working with somebody like Mark Ronson. A- anything's
2: possible. Anything's possible. That's for sure. You think so? Uh, I never say no.
1: You
2: mm-hmm. think, Mick still got we'll some licks? think Mick
1: still got some riffs in him?
2: Oh yeah, I think so. I, I don't think he would know how to live without that. You
1: know. Yeah, that's it. Well, yeah. uh, Rick, it was fantastic to talk to you. Great for meeting you. This is this was amazing. And the next time we chat, it'll it'll be Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee Rick Thank Thanks be so great. much. <laughs> it's been
2: my pleasure. Thank you so much, Steve. Um, Have a good day. The Jeremy White Show. Get
0: exclusive interviews and bonus content on demand now. Visit YouTube.com/slash Jeremy White Show.